I'm Jay Pitts, a real estate broker, agent, leader, and investor. For the last decade, I've navigated the craziest of real estate markets this country has ever seen, selling over 2,000 homes, moving in and out of markets, always ahead of the curve. And now I'm bringing that perspective to you. This is your resource, and Real Talk About Real Estate starts right now. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Resource Real Talk About Real Estate. I'm Gabe Pruitt. And I'm Jay Pitts. It is good to be back. It's been a minute since we've been in here. It's been a little bit. It's been a little bit. You know, we've got holidays. We've got weather issues as most of the... I don't know if you call it the Ohio Valley, the Southeast. I know Atlanta got crushed. Mm-hmm. I know the Northeast has had its sub-zero, frigid, lots of snow kind of stuff. So, Our yeah. listeners up north are probably like, wah, wah, wah. Oh, I know, complain. I know. Like, well, we, we, we don't have snowshoes and, <laughs> you know, chains on our tires. So, you know, we get hit with a little bit of snow. It's like snowmageddon <laughs> around here. So, yeah, we're back. Yeah, it's the beginning of the year, and we got plenty of new things to talk about. One of them specifically is something that a lot of people have been talking about recently, and that's major changes to the tax code. We've obviously got tax reform that has passed and is out of the House and Senate, and so it's been a big topic for real estate investors and, and just the layperson alike. Uh, but we've been talking about it in a lot in our office, Jay, because there's a lot of people and clients that we serve that are affected by this or are maybe confused about how it actually affects them. So one of the things we want to touch on today is how this might affect you as one of our listeners and how it might affect your clients if you're someone that works with buyers and sellers or investors. Uh, and to talk to us today, we've got someone that's uniquely qualified to kind of give their input on this. We're talking with Brandon Hall, who you might better know as the real estate CPA. He's another very fine and esteemed podcaster like ourselves that is constantly giving all, all kinds of information on this topic. So he's going to answer a lot of the questions that we have. But Jay, let me ask you, what kind of things do you think, if you just had to graze right off the top, are the biggest impacts from this huge tax bill that our listeners will probably want to know about? Well, sure. I mean, absolutely timely. And you're right. Brandon is somebody that I've grown to respect and follow um, for tactical knowledge that I take and then approach my my professional that I work with here locally uh, with ideas and, and ways to save on taxes and do things like that uh, throughout my real estate investing. But but absolutely timely, this tax bill that was passed, you know, just before Christmas, um, you know, the, the couple of things that really spring to mind, number one, is a, s- a huge sigh of relief, number one, because um, the capital gains exemption made it through unscathed. Right. Uh, there was talk of taking the capital gains exemption on the sale of a primary and secondary residence uh, from the qualification that you had to live in it for two of the past five years to be exempt those taxes, changing to five of the last eight years, which is a very big jump, which is like effectively sweeping the rug out from under somebody that bought a house two to three years ago that has experienced a sharp upswing in pricing or in value due to market appreciation. And basically just said, you, you can't, you can't sell now. Yeah. And we very well, very well may be in the midst of a recession by the time you can sell. You got to wait two more years and or it might you got to the same market or you got to price in a 15% capital or 20% capital gains rate. Um, and that's substantial. So that's a huge sigh of relief that that went through. It could have been disastrous for both investors and, you know, normal buyers and sellers could have been disastrous for them. And the ripple effect could have 
really put a hamper on our 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 real estate market that's just finally catching some steam. Uh, so that that's number one. Number two, the mortgage interest tax deduction uh, stayed um, in certain high priced areas. It was you know loosely affected based on the amount of interest you can deduct, but that in the bread and butter markets across the country, that's not going to have much effect. Uh, also, state and local property taxes having limitations. Uh, those lower price points tend to also be lower tax states. So, um, again, bread and butter, Midwestern folks, less affected. This is something that's w- more more of an effect for our West Coast listeners. West Coast right? listeners, north you know, northeast, you know, kind of uh, New England, South Florida, you know, boutique, high priced, big city markets where you pay they, a lot of property. You taxes. pay a lot of property taxes, and and that ten thousand dollar limit that is now. Uh, in place as far as a um, a limit on your deduction now is called into question where there previously weren't limits. But here you got to own a – in Louisville, Kentucky, I think I did the math, you have to own a $770,000 home to have your tax rate, your tax bill on property taxes eclipse the, the $10,000 annual mark. Yeah. And that's less than like 1% of sales in our market last year. So honestly, it sounds like what you're saying is we were expecting this to make a much bigger splash while it was Correct. being reconciled. and In, abs- a, in and a negative way. Yeah, in a negative way. I mean, think about how that capital gains just by itself would affect the market. You'd have a lot of people disincentivized to sell. But after it's all said and done and the dust has settled, it sounds like not a lot has changed. But based on proposals that we, we saw, um, we expected it to be – a much bigger challenge. Uh, we did not see that same challenge in the actual past legislation. Mm-hmm. Now, it will have significant impact, um, but in kind of ripple effect kind of ways for homeowners that are not investors, there is a very, very, and we'll touch on this with Brandon a little bit later, but there is a very direct positive impact on real estate investors. It's a little heady, I'll warn you. It's a little complicated. So you definitely need to con- consult your tax professional after listening to today's episode. Important to mention that we are not tax professionals. We are not tax professionals. We are not CPAs. We are not attorneys. We don't we don't offer legal advice and we don't offer tax advice. Um, there are people out there that are qualified and licensed to do so, as Brandon is. But um, even don't just take what he puts out as you know, as the end all be all consult your own professional, but use this as a, as a, as a platform to gain ideas and understand the impact on your business. Sure. And I think a lot of our listeners now, you know, once you start to break out the T word, people start, start sweating a little bit, especially at this time of year when people are starting to really think about their taxes. 1099 is about to go out. Mm. Taxes are getting filed. I know a lot of our listeners are going to have questions that reach even farther than tax reform. So, well, for, or for all of you real estate agents, it's, it's tax extension season. (laughs) Tax extension season. (laughs) Yeah. We don't file taxes by happens in April by, by real April fifteenth. Real estate agents file extensions yeah. and pay quarterlies. Well, maybe they pay quarterlies. Hey, twenty eighteen might be the year that you finally get on top of it. And if that's something that's one of your big goals, you're really going to appreciate the guests that we have coming after the break. Make sure to stick around. When we come back, we'll have Brandon Hall, the real estate CPA. Stay with us.
And we're back, folks. Resource, real talk about real estate. As we told you before the break, we are here with Brandon Hall from the realestatecpa.com. Brandon, thanks for joining us. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. Awesome, man. Awesome. So we've talked to our listeners uh, you know, about your work in the past. Um, but for those of you that hadn't caught those episodes, Brandon is a CPA, obviously. Started out um, working at Ernst & Young. Uh, formulated his own firm in 2015, going into business for himself full-time in 2016. His firm is a virtual CPA firm, so he basically doesn't meet his clients face-to-face, but I think it allows him to work with clients and real estate investors all over the country. Um, He is also a real estate investor and has an affinity for kite surfing. Hmm. And also Blue Moon, which I kind of share that. We share that in common, not the kite surfing, but the Blue Moon, Brandon. (laughs) (laughs) That's <laughs> a good taste. <laughs> it's a good taste. Anyway, uh, Brandon, so for our listeners, man, why don't you just kind of give us a little bit more about your business, what you do, and uh, what does it look like to be kind of a virtual CPA, and how do you go about doing your business? Yeah, I appreciate the intro. That was pretty good. Um, yeah, so CPA, I I actually got started in real estate, so I was trying to figure out how to get out of the corporate world. And rental real estate kept popping up as one of those things that you can like, you know, build income streams over time and then get out. Uh, except after I bought my first property, I realized it was going to take me another decade to build out the portfolio that I needed to to leave the corporate world. And that's what kind of made it gave me that mindset shift to jump into business. Um, so I started providing services to real estate investors more so uh, for a selfish reason, reason to learn more about like. How do you maximize your profits in real estate? What do the wealthy folks really do? And does real estate actually work? And it just kind of snowballed from there. So yeah, we have a virtual CPA firm. I'm based in Raleigh, North Carolina. I have six employees. They're all over the US. Um, We don't have a central office and we don't have, but we don't meet clients face-to-face. But the one commonality with all of our clients is that they are involved in real estate in some capacity. So I would say 90 plus percent of our clients own investment real estate. Um, and then the remainder of our clients, they are developers, builders, agents, syndicates, you name it. But yeah, the one commonality is real estate. So it's really cool because not only can we provide tax advice and accounting services to a very niche part of um, of professional services, but we can also connect a lot of our clients and we, we do a really good job of that. You know, we've got like one guy that syndicates about 100 to 200 units a month. And uh, he's a super busy guy. <laughs> and we, we always connect clients that are looking to get involved in syndicates. We always connect clients with that guy. So, you know, we're able to help grow businesses, help provide opportunities for our clients that are not necessarily inside the scope of tax or accounting. That's awesome, man. So it sounds like as as most businesses get started, you you saw an opportunity. You had you had a need, right? You had a a need for something different personally, right? And you wanted that the career to provide that. Uh, you saw an opportunity, and 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 the business was born out of necessity. And I, I I've seen that same necessity. You know, part of what drew me to your work, uh, obviously your podcast, your blog. Uh, I really enjoyed your podcast, by the way, and and. I think it's probably a gift and a curse if I if I had to guess that your content is very heady, right? It, it, it's 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 not something that people you know go out on a Friday night and do for fun, right? It, it it's <laughs> it's very heady, like tedious, 
Like, and not at, not as it pertains to normal accounting, but accounting in general is just kind of that way. Tax law is that way. And the thing I really like being a real estate nerd myself, I really enjoyed the practical application, the things I heard that I could see that I could apply in my, in my day-to-day business. You know, I, you know, I know we, we talked a little offline and I know you know that I have a real estate portfolio and that I coach and train and lead agents that also want to be investors. So um, that was something that was really important for me was just how practical the application seemed to be. Um, is that something you set out for in the beginning? Because it's really easy for a blog about taxes to read like to read like the tax code, yeah, like the printed version of the tax code. Did, 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 were you trying to synthesize it and simplify it for your 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 viewers, your readers, and your clients? Yeah. So if you look at most CPAs and their blogs, they're very technical. Um, it, when I was first starting, and even sometimes now, like we'll research something, and before we dive into the code, we'll just type it into Google to kind of like give us direction on what what code sections we need to be diving into. And it's always funny because a bunch of CPA websites will pop up and we'll read their blog articles. And it's like, oh, wow, that was a great blog article. But who's reading that blog article? Me, a CPA. I'm not going to become your client, right? Because I'm trying to get my own clients. <laughs> Why? I, I don't, I'm not going to become a client of another CPA. Right. And so when I was going through this process, I kind of realized that these guys write great content, but it's way too technical and it's not keyword focused. It's not focused on their clients. Um, and that's what kind of led me to write my content in the way that I do, which is a little bit more punchy. Uh, you'll very rarely see me cite IRS code. I'll cite it in the comments and, and I'll send it to people if they ask. But you won't really see me cite IRS code or tax court cases in the, con- in the content itself. And the purpose there is just to not make it super technical, to provide a lot of examples, try to break it down as much as we possibly can um, for our non you know, tax professional clients, which is 99% of our clients. Um, so yeah, so we, we, we try to break it down as much as possible. The, it's always interesting though, because you have to balance this fine line of like m- it, making it too simplistic and becoming a guru, right? I mean, there's, there's plenty of those tax books out there that are just full of guru talk. And we try to be a little bit more in depth than those guys. Cause we, we do want these strategies to be hard hitting Mm-hmm. And realistic. A lot of this, a lot of the guru talk is more of like, yeah, you can do all this stuff and your taxes will be zero. And, but it's, none of it's actually applicable. So we try to like drill into it and show this is how, this is how it can actually be applicable without also becoming way too technical that our clients are going to fall asleep while they're reading these articles. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. So, so it sounds like you saw that there needed to be a conduit, like a messenger between you know, the IRS or the tax code itself and the people that were actually, you know, transacting business, investing in real estate in a, in a very practical way. Like, it sounds like that's kind of what led you down this path. Does that, does that make sense? Or is that fair? Is that a fair assumption? Yeah, absolutely. It it was a a middle ground between guru and too technical. So I just kind of identified that there was a need out there for people wanted to learn about this stuff. A lot of real estate investors have like a, some sort of entrepreneurial spirit in them and they want to figure out how to do it themselves uh, to some degree. And so we're just trying to strike that middle ground to show them how they can do it themselves. And they realize it's way too complicated. So they're going to hire a CPA. 
uh, ideally us because we wrote the articles. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, just kind of finding that middle ground is um, is where we kind of stake our claim. Well, I think you're striking a vein there because a lot of our listeners are real estate professionals, and and a lot of them, if they're anything like me are apprehensive about really digging in to try to learn about taxes because there's not a lot of resources out there that are easily comprehensible, like you said. So for some of our listeners that know it's about time to get in touch with the CPA, what would you say are the main things that they need to know about taxes and how it affects them, specifically people that work with investors like we talked about? Yeah, that, that's a that's a tough question, mainly because I don't know how much the client actually needs to know about taxes but the client should do a very good job vetting the CPA. Um, and I always tell people that the, the most important thing in your CPA is communication. So in your CPA relationship, how well are you communicating with that CPA? And what does that communication look like? like we, we onboard clients and we always ask, hey, why are you switching CPAs? And they'll say, well, I sent an email to my, client, to my CPA and uh, he took three weeks and four follow-up emails to get back to me. I don't care how good uh, at tax work he is. I don't care if he owns two, four, 500 units of rental real estate. Um, If he takes three, four weeks to get back to you, that's a deal. That's an opportunity that you might have lost should your question pertain to anything like that. So what I always tell people is get the communication first. Um, Ask questions around that. How do you communicate? What should I expect? Email, phone, text messages, whatever it is. Um, and, and find somebody that, that you're going to mesh with. And then, and then we can dive into like the real estate stuff. Like, do you sure. own real estate? What about the employees you have? Do, do they own real estate? How many real estate investors do you work with? But I, I would focus more so on the communication and then on the client base itself. So if they work with one real estate investor and then a bunch of uh, manufacturing companies, then that's probably not a CPA that you want to work with because they're just not going to be in the code and answering questions from other clients every single day. Like we learn a lot from our clients just because we get really oddball questions all the time. And that arms us with knowledge that we can then use in the future when the next client asks. Interesting. So let me ask you this. Let's keep going with this hypothetical example. Let's say that someone has left another relationship and now you are their CPA. What is, what are some of the first things that you find yourself having to go and correct uh, with clients or what are some of the first things that stand out that, that someone may have made a mistake on before that they might not have even realized was a mistake? Yeah, uh, building basis is generally the very first thing that we'll look at. Um, most most people will forget to break out the land value. So I buy a property for $100,000. I don't get to report $100,000 as my basis on my tax return. I have to report $90,000 as my building basis. And then okay. the remaining 10000 is reported as land. Um, and we'll even see CPAs make those mistakes, even at like large firms, which is somewhat shocking. Um, yeah, so that, that's generally the first one. And then what we'll do is we'll just kind of look and, I mean, we see things all the time like, okay, there are no property taxes reported. Why not? Well, I purchased the property this year. But then when you pull up the closing documents, you see that there was an allocation to property taxes. It just was part of the closing. So the CPA or whoever it was didn't know how to read the closing documents and actually maximize all those expenses, um, just kind of left it off of the return in total. Um, we'll see people forget to record mileage or the home office deduction or meals and entertainment. So it's just like a lot of those little things that we're looking for uh, in terms of how you previously reported. And, and those are the quick wins that we can provide clients with really on that first strategy call that we'll have with the client. But we'll say, okay, you, you didn't do this in the past. We want you to do this now. And 
boom, we just paid for our fees. Now let's get into the more sexy strategies. And now we're going to triple our fees in terms of taxes. Yeah. So for, for, for those really novice or folks considering investing out there, the first thing that Brandon talked about, your basis, your building basis or your property basis is your basis for depreciation. And the reason you have to separate land value is because the land does not depreciate today, tomorrow, and forever, presumably, I guess. Um, it will always be there. So the value of the land is the value of the land and you don't get to depreciate it on your taxes. That's, you know, one of these things that kind of real estate investors, if no one's ever told you, you may not know. And somebody like Brandon can explain to you that when you buy a piece of rental real estate, that you get a depreciation schedule, which is essentially, you know, an imaginary loss. I mean, Brandon, correct me if my techno- if my terminology is not great, but it's a, it's a paper loss that you get to claim on your tax or, or a, a reduction in taxable income from that property for that, that is an incentive to own rental real estate. Brandon, am I, am I doing that right? Yeah, right on the money. It, we call it advanced expense. You, you pay for it all up front, but you don't get to deduct the purchase price of the building. So over time, you get to deduct a small portion of that purchase price uh, or, or of the, the allocation to building, to the building basis. Um, and, and the purpose is to track the deterioration of the building or of the components in the building. Right. Um, and a lot of people always say like, well, real estate appreciates. So what do you mean it's, it deteriorates? Right. Well, the value of real estate appreciates, but the building itself is going to deteriorate over time as it gets worn out. And that's what this depreciation allowance is meant to track. So yeah, every year you get to write off, you know, 3000 bucks in depreciation expense, but you don't actually have to pay every year that $3,000 because you already paid for it up front when you purchased the property. Okay. So let's, let's get a little more heady on that. The great thing about real estate investing, it's one of the, it's why it's one of my preferred investing. Well, my, it is my most preferred investing vehicle is not only do you get to write off that 3000 that Brandon's talking about as far as a depreciation expense, you you get to go and correct the deterioration and write off the cost of the correction. <laughs> so, you know, Brandon, correct me if I'm wrong, man. I don't want to step out of bounds, but you're in a, in a sense double dipping. But if we're going to get a little more heady, we have to talk about depreciation recapture. So let's not get too in the weeds, Brandon, but why don't you touch on the, the recapture of that depreciation that comes on the back end when you liquidate a piece of rental real estate? Yeah, yeah. Um... That that's one trap that a lot of our clients don't understand, and a, and a lot of real estate investors don't understand. <clears throat> so we can maximize depreciation, and by maximize, I mean we can try to blow it up as much as we possibly can. Problem is that at the end of your hold period, when you sell that property, you have to pay depreciation recapture taxes, generally equal to twenty five percent of all the depreciation you've ever taken on that property. Um, so it can be a it can be a shock because it's higher than your capital gain tax rate. So it can be a shock if you're not planning for it. But the idea is that well, every year though I get to write off this depreciation expense and I get to reapply the tax savings after that year. Um, so it, 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 essentially, think of it as like a as a loan from the IRS. Yeah. You you get the tax savings now. But at some point, you have to pay it back. So you better reinvest those tax savings so that they produce something for you. Well, beyond that, beyond that, 
it's an incentive to hold real estate long term. Now, eventually, you run out of depreciation and you have to recapture whether you sell or not. But it's people like Brandon that can help you plan for that. How to reinvest, how to, you know, kind of get into vehicles that can shelter the amount of tax you're required to pay by making additional investments or structure and other things. Brandon, we're not going to go too too deeper into this, man. It can get really get in the weeds real quick. But am, am I on point with the with my assumption that it is it is an incentive to hold real estate long term and that they should definitely our listeners should definitely engage a professional to help them understand better the the depreciation and recapture kind of dynamic. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's definitely an incentive to hold longer term. That said, there are definitely things that we can do to offset that depreciation recapture. Um, working with a professional or a CPA that that is involved in real estate day in day out, they'll help you identify those opportunities to offset that that depreciation recapture that's going to come whenever you liquidate. Sure, sure. Let, let's pivot real quick because we we spent a little bit of time there talking about rental real estate mostly. I, I think that was more by default than it was by 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 design but i I'm, i think that's really great stuff for our listeners to hear and let's let's pivot a little more to another aspect of real estate investing that is very in vogue right now because of sharp appreciation around the country and that's flipping property okay what 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 do you have to say what is maybe a, a one trap that a novice real estate flipper um can can try to avoid or or something that that should be known getting into it that you discuss with your clients on a on a fairly regular basis. Two traps. The first is not flipping within an LLC. Okay. So anytime that you're going to engage in a flip, that should be in an LLC, hands down, hundred percent. Rental real estate, not necessarily a big benefit to putting into an LLC unless we're talking from a liability perspective, which I'm not super qualified to talk about. But from a tax perspective, when we're talking about flipping, we one hundred percent want that flip to be within that LLC. The reason for that is that at some later point, we can retroactively elect to be taxed as an S corporation. So like if you flip a property and you net $100,000, um, you're going to pay self-employment taxes on that 100K of 15.3K. If we're in an S corporation, we can reduce the exposure to those self-employment taxes. So if we're in an S corporation, we might pay you wages of $50,000. And then the remaining $50,000 would come out as a cash distribution from the S corporation. The cool thing about the S corporation is that only the wages portion of the net profit is subject to that self-employment tax. So hmm. now we have 50000 subject to that 15.3% tax, which results in $7,650 of that self-employment tax. So by simply electing the S-Corp tax status, we've saved you know, 7,600 bucks um, by doing nothing other than, again, electing the S-Corporation tax status. If you don't have the flip in an LLC, we don't have that option. So that's the first thing that we tell people, regardless of how of how successful you think you're gonna be or how unsuccessful you might be, we still want that property or those flips in an LLC so that we at least have the ability to retroactively um, tax that LLC as an S corporation. Okay. So let's, um, let's take for a moment the understanding that, and we've, we've discussed real estate investing in partnerships, real estate investing as an individual and in prior episodes. Um, you know, I think partnerships are, are fairly common 
um, and, and by partnership, I don't mean in the, in the, you know, book definition sense or the tax definition sense. I just mean like Gabe and I decide to flip a house together. Um, if we do that, is there any implications to that S corp status? And conversely, if I just go flip a house by myself and I'm what's known as a disregarded entity or a single member LLC, that kind of thing, is there any implications for that? Is there any difference to what I can do with respect to those write-offs, that, that real dollar $7,600 difference in taxes that you just discussed? Well, if you have a partnership, we always want the partnership to be an LLC. And the reason for that is because LLCs are extremely flexible. I, you, you guys can split it 50-50 one year, then change it to 60-40 the next year. You can split it based on profit, capital, debt. So you don't have to just have a hard 50-50 split. It's very flexible. When you're in an S-corporation, you own shares of the S-corporation. So if you own one share and then your partner owns the next share, then you split it 50-50. There's literally nothing you can do. And then whenever you want to take a cash distribution, you have to split that cash distribution 50-50. So we go back to the LLC when you know one partner could take a cash distribution and the other partner could decide that they don't want to take a cash distribution and that's totally fine. So we do want the partnerships to always be an LLC unless there's some legal reason for them not to be an LLC, which generally is not the case. But what we'll do is we'll have each partner come into that LLC as their own LLC. So rather than Brandon Hall taking a stake in partnership A. Brandon Hall Capital LLC will take a stake in partnership A. The reason that we do that is because I can then tax my LLC however I want to in order to maximize my tax position without affecting my partner. So I can tax my LLC as an S corporation, meaning that the LLC, the, the partnership LLC will pass the profits to my LLC that is now taxed as an S corporation. Now I get to maximize the benefits via an S corporation privately on my own without affecting my partner. Gotcha. Well, man, I think, I think we might've officially lost some folks here, but, <laughs> but I mean, I'm, I'm a, uh, I, I'm right there with you. And like, I think we might have to get a blue moon and finish this conversation at some point, but, but no, yeah. I, I, I'm right there with you. And I think, I think we should probably not go much further there. And I know I asked the question, but you, and you answered it perfectly. So LLC within an LLC, Gabe, you got it. LLC inception. <laughs> yeah, inception. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Anyway, this is um, one we like to whiteboard. <laughs> there, there you go. There you go. Okay. So, uh, nice, nice little pivot here. Um, if you don't mind, before the break, we talked a little bit about tax reform, and I think obviously that's a um, that's a hot topic, you know. And I know you've written about it in your blog, but I want to give you my take. Um, on maybe, and just very simply, and I'm not going to say why, because I think it's probably more important that they either hear why or why not you, why you do or do not agree and why with the three probably most impactful, um, you know, changes or lack thereof that came from tax reform. And, and, you know, let, let's see, let's see what, uh, what, you think with respect, and this is kind of probably more towards novice real estate investors and agents versus big, you know, sophisticated investors. I know there's lots of pass-throughs and things like that that we probably don't need to get into today. But um, the three things, number one being the fact that we avoided a change to the capital gains exemption. I think I think that was that was number one. It remaining two out of five, I think, was was very impactful 
to the real estate industry. I think the mortgage mortgage interest deduction um, changes that were made were very impactful. Um, and then also state and local property tax caps on deductions were very impactful. Those three things. What what say you about those three things? Yeah. So in terms of real estate investors, the Section 121 exclusion is really the only one that affects real estate investors. And that's just because you can do like a live and flip and live in it for two years and then sell it and avoid up to 250 or 500 if you're married of capital gain. Um, so that, that, that one affects real estate investors. So we have clients that will live in a property for two years, they'll flip it, then they'll move to another property for two years, flip it, so on and so forth. So how many nervous calls did you get when everyone thought it was going to be five out of eight? People thinking the sky <laughs> was falling. Our phones were blowing up, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it was a fun couple of weeks, but luckily they didn't change it. So no changes there. It's still two out of five, which is great. Um, but the other two, the mortgage interest deduction and then the salt taxes, so salt is state and local taxes. Um, those, those will affect everybody across the board. Uh, and they might affect, they might negatively affect home prices. Uh, so that's something that we're kind of looking at, but that's not something that, you know, we really comment on. Um, but in terms of real estate investing, like if you buy a rental property, there, there is no limit to the mortgage interest deduction or the state and local taxes. Right. You can still take all your property taxes. You can still take all your mortgage interest. And that's a point of confusion. So what we like to tell people or what we're, what we're trying to tell people is this mortgage interest interest deduction and then the state and local taxes, it only applies to your itemized deduction. So your primary residence and your second home, that's all it's applying to. If you own rental real estate or business, you're you're still good. Okay. I was, I was hoping that that's where you would go with it. So, you know, kind of a little more... I don't know, big picture. The let, Let's talk about one thing that I do think affects investors most specifically. And it, it's a, it's, you got to kind of maybe, maybe look down the line a few notches here as to how this plays out. But the standard deduction increase, you know, mortgage interest is still deductible, but the standard deduction increase, I would contend that there's some disincentive in that change for young people to become homeowners. Okay. It removes some of the impact of the mortgage interest deduction and therefore millennials who are, and I've, I've contended in the past that are more apathetic to home ownership than previous generations. They might just, they might just opt to rent. Okay. Which is, which is great for investors, for investors because demand on, on rentals goes up and rent prices increases in a very simplistic supply and demand kind of way, but it could also, it could also hurt home sellers. What are your, what are your thoughts on that connection? Yeah, it, I agree. I would say that the property taxes are more of a concern, especially in high, high tax states. So we're limited to $10,000 of state and local taxes. If you live in a New Jersey, New York, California, you're, you're hitting that 10K just on your property taxes, but then you also have your state taxes, your state income taxes that are now also limited, limited to that 10,000. So that standard deduction increasing kind of like if you, that, that standard deduction increase, if I'm a renter and I'm looking at potentially buying, I can buy a $500,000 home and still deduct the interest, but I can't buy a $500,000 home in California, New York, New Jersey, and deduct 
all of my property taxes and deduct all of my income taxes that I'm paying to stay. So that standard deduction at that point, I might look at it and say, you know what, I'm just going to keep renting because then I won't have to worry about the property taxes. And I know I can at least deduct up to $10,000 of my income taxes that I'm paying to these states. So, so we, we've kind of, we're, we're in a, we're in a, a very modest Midwestern market, right? Our prices are not, you'd have to be in a $770,000 home based on our tax rates to even approach the property tax thing. Um, the, and it's important cap. to note that in our market, that's like 1% of the homes for sale, right? Yeah. It's 1% of sales last year. Now I know you got to include, um, state, state and local ta- income taxes in that. But the point, the point is Brandon, in our market, we're not touching that. Um, I do a thousand percent agree with you kind of as a takeoff on my point from before that this is severely impactful in high price point, high tax markets like California, New Jersey, New York. Um, but a big part of the country is largely unaffected by that. Wouldn't you agree with that? Oh yeah, absolutely. So yeah, man, that's, that's, uh, that's interesting. I, I, uh, I hadn't thought about just how impactful it is largely because it doesn't affect us, but you know, there's ripple effect for agents, for real estate professionals, investors, and, and homeowners and, and, and those people alike. So I think that was a pretty good, pretty good insight there. Um, so one last question for you. Um, and, and I think, I think we can probably put a bow on it after this. I know you're a real estate investor yourself. You said you own six units or six pieces of property. Um, what changes as a result of tax reform are you making in your own personal portfolio? Yeah. So the, the, the portfolio that I have currently, I'm not making any changes. No the, changes. As I, yeah. As I purchase property in the future, I might allocate less, less uh, basis to building and more to land um, as, as much as I legally can. The reason for that is due to this new 20% pass-through deduction that I'm sure that people have read about. If you can, if you can meet the thresholds and qualify for this 20% pass-through deduction, then if you have rental income, you can use, well, let me, let me caveat this with, we're still waiting for the IRS temporary regulations to come out. So they might actually come out and say that rental real estate doesn't qualify. But right now, the general consensus is that if you have rental income coming in, um, you can use that 20% deduction on the rental income. But the key is, is that it's after depreciation. So if I'm allocating more of my basis to land, then I'm reducing my depreciation expense every year. And as a result, I might show a passive income that I can then utilize this 20% deduction for. And you know, the point that I, I take away from that is I think that that is really important for people to understand is that these things are not set in stone. They're open for interpretation. There are thresholds that a qualified professional can advise you like we understand that real estate value is subjective. Market value, I preach it to my agents. It's subjective. It's not it's not like buying something from Costco. Like there's not a price tag on it. You walk over and you pick it up off a shelf, you scan it and you pay $1.89. Like it's subjective. So the value to of your land versus your structure to you is subjective. And and there is incentive to take a more liberal or conservative stance with respect to the value on one side or the other um, based on what the tax laws are and your interpretation of it. And I think that's a really great point because I think it's contrary to probably what you've always done before, 
which is allocate as much as you can to structure so that you can maximize your depreciation. Would that, would I be accurate in that? Absolutely. So it's interesting to see like a complete 180 there. So Brandon, yeah, man, yeah, this, 100%. this, this has been awesome, man. Like, um, I, I hope everybody enjoys this kind of stuff as much as I do. I think it's a meaningful thing to bring to our listeners. I really appreciate you making the time folks. Please, please, please go out and visit the real estate CPA, all spelled out, therealestatecpa.com. You can find, you know, articles from, you know, topics such as how to form your LLC, why to form an LLC, um, you know, what different methods and structures and you know, what house hacking is or what Airbnb tax strategies. These are all articles from Brandon's website that I have read and he has podcast episodes that are almost a companion feature. You can also catch Brandon from time to time on Bigger Pockets. He's a contributing writer there. Um, please, please, please give him your support. Um, Brandon, thanks so much for being on today, buddy. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. All right. Well, what do you think about that, Jay? Some heady stuff, man. It sounds like most of it was you trying to coach Brandon into into agreeing with the things that you already think about the tax code. Is what it sounded like from don't, my end of the table. Don't I always do that? Yeah, a little bit. But for the most part, I think I think Brandon was right on the money, and you were right on it too. I mean, these are things that affect our investor clients and that affect real estate professionals, and it's important to know these things. So. I think we I think we've established that I like to hear my own voice. Unfortunately, <laughs> I know, folks. I just really I have very strong convictions about some things. If it sounded that way, it's probably because I've listened to every podcast episode he has. So I know what his opinions are and I might've been leading. And really, if this is something you're interested in, or if there's something that we didn't touch on that you want to know more about, and you just wish we would talk about taxes more, we're really sorry. We're not going to do that to the rest (laughs) of our listeners that don't want that. That's why Brandon is here. Go listen to the real estate CPA podcast. He knows his stuff. Obviously, if you listen to that, you know that he does. So if you're curious about this stuff, go and listen. He has plenty of information that you can feast on, on his website. Feel free to reach out to us. I mean, we're just not going to do it on air. Like (laughs) I'm pretty sure like I caught Gabe sleeping in the midst of that. Oh Uh, no, no. He he was like nodding off. I was looking down taking notes. Yeah. (laughs) Taking notes. I bet. No folks. It's, it's, it's something taxes are something that affect everyone and they affect investors exponentially more than just your regular Joe Blow. And and Brandon was spot on. There's stuff we're still waiting to hear on. The IRS is still out on a couple of these topics. So you make sure you're checking this space and you're make sure you're listening to these episodes as we start to learn more. There's going to be plenty of other things that affect you coming this Another year. Another thing that, before we go, man, the thing that really um, stuck out to me and I found myself thinking about while we were talking was his story is not all that dissimilar from Cliff Hayden. Yeah. The guy that we had, you know, really early in the show a day in the life of a real estate investor. Mm-hmm. Um, Brandon didn't want to be in, corp- in in the corporate world, and he identified an, an opportunity, a niche, and he went after it, and he's created a and business. And it exploded. Yeah. yeah, and it's a business that was really needed. Like, like I'm not joking. Like, I talked to my, my accountant, and I'm like, help me. Like, <laughs> help me. Like, what about this? Oh, no, you shouldn't do that. I don't understand why, but when I plug into this guy's podcast, man, I'm like, that's what I'm saying. Well, that's, I mean, it's, there's nothing wrong with admitting when you need help. And there are experts out there that know these things. And of course, here on Resource, we want to be your resource for everything real estate related. So we're going to have plenty of experts from all walks of, of the industry come in and talk to us about things that, that are important to you and important to your clients. So 
Make sure that you're subscribed. If you're not already subscribed, you can head to our website, www.resourcepodcast.net. That's where all of our episodes and all of our notes can be found. Of course, you can also subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud and all the other places where you can find this podcast. But like Jay said, if you've got questions for us or you, you want to know more about a specific topic, get in touch with us. There are plenty of ways on our website to reach out to us. We want to hear from you. We want to hear your feedback. And we want to make sure that you're getting as much as possible out of this podcast. Still got the buyer's guide up on the website. Go, Go get, get it. it. Go get it. R&D. R&D. Rip off and duplicate. That's right. All right, folks. Thanks again. We appreciate you joining us. Until next time. All right. Take care, folks.